0: If your only choices are all or nothing, there's a good chance you'll get nothing. Pick a tragedy, choose a disaster, select a calamity. There have been plenty in the past decade or so. No matter the trouble, the response is always the same. Each hemisphere of our divided political landscape scurries to come up with talking points to go public with. They've gotten pretty good at it. The political responses come out almost simultaneously with the news of what happened. In fact, they're so predictable, We don't even need to wait to find out what they are. One side says you can have it all. The other side says you can have nothing. The next time something bad happens, they switch. We'll take a look at our choices and why it seems like these are the only ones we ever get on this episode of I'm Not Allowed to Watch the News. Natural disaster, one side will rhetorically ask who's in charge of FEMA, or who's running the state where it happened. The other side will point out congressional votes against funding preparedness and response. Mass shooting, one side will demand more guns, the other side will call for no guns at all. Cop killing, all we need are more police, or less. Pandemic, lock everything down, or nothing. You know what will fix an economic downturn? Stimulus payments to the poor or tax cuts for the rich. Foreign war involving American interests? We need to keep our military out of it, or send in a million troops. Health care too expensive? The government should pay for all of it, or none of it. Our elected leaders are for sale. Buy them all, or fire them. Gas prices too high? Drill for more oil, or replace all America's gas guzzlers with electric cars tomorrow. Too many immigrants at the border? Let them all in, or throw them all out. National debt at $30 trillion? Cut taxes. Or raise them. One thing is guaranteed when the ideas to solve what ails the country are this diametrically opposed. Nothing. There's something about it that feels intentional. It's almost as if each side wants to keep the issues alive and well instead of solving them once and for all. As we learned in our healthcare episode, the issues facing the country are complex and interconnected. You can't solve a healthcare funding problem when the Treasury is running a trillion dollar a year deficit and owes thirty trillion more. You also can't fix roads and bridges. You can talk tough at the G twenty summit, but your audience is full of the people holding the note on the national debt. If you're a cop in a small town and your banker runs a red light, do you give him a ticket or let him go? Welcome to debt ridden foreign policy. Dealing with the country's big issues is like taking just one of the dogs to the vet. If I leave the other dog home, he freaks the freak out and chews on the baseboards, clears out my Netflix queue, and orders stuff from Amazon that, quite frankly, he doesn't need. So I always take both dogs. I tell the doctor that the other dog is just there for a consult. My vet already thinks I'm a weird dude and doesn't understand why my 100-pound male dog is named Sally. But we get through the appointment, and I don't have to spend a week opening boxes from Amazon full of car parts and garden gnomes. I pick the quick and easy answer and get six months of peace and quiet before Gus needs his rabies booster. Politicians and political parties have learned that delivering bad news to the electorate or talking about complex issues doesn't win elections. They're not going to campaign on the national debt they helped run up or make a 20-minute speech about health care when they have no idea what to do about it. They're not going to choke off their own campaign funding By proposing a constitutional amendment to eliminate all contributions, except individual ones. And there's no way they're going to suggest term limiting themselves or the senior senator of their party who gets to decide what nifty committees they're on. It's more effective to pretend that the voters are stupid, bored and selfish. They can say things like green energy and drain the swamp and free college and build the wall without ever having to get into the complicated facets of energy policy, congressional malaise, the necessity of higher education and how we pay for it, or immigration. If your catchphrase gets applause, you win. As an added perk, you don't really have to solve any of those problems once in office. You may have campaigned on the possible, but governing in the 21st century is all about what's impossible. Just blame the other side for obstructing all of those policies you didn't quite explain while you were running and wait for the next election cycle the same way i can breathe easier once i've gotten the pups home from the vet the dogs are thrilled by the way that i've compared the legislative branch of government to me taking them to the doctor passing meaningful health care reform infrastructure bills or effective immigration laws just can't be done because of the other side's stubborn intransigence depending on which party is in charge big corporations might get tax cuts or poor people might get a stimulus check But for the most part, your elected official gets to relax and do nothing until the next election in which he gets to talk about that immigration problem or health care or gas prices or gun violence or that time the power grid failed or that village fell into the sea. And who's to blame for it? Figuring out who's responsible for whatever ails the country has been tantamount to fixing it. If my Republican congressman can blame my Democratic senator for the high price of milk, there's no need to propose any legislation that might lower it if the Democratic majority in Congress can pin high unemployment on the policies of the Republican in the White House, there's no need to actually find jobs for all those out-of-work people. If the Democrats can blame Republicans for the high cost of health insurance, and the Republicans can point fingers right back at them, well, don't plan on getting sick anytime soon, because they've done all they can. This blame game only has one purpose. It wins elections. They tell us that the real fix, when it comes right down to it is to vote for them, and not just some of them, all of them. Only the unquestioned power of a partisan supermajority can solve the nation's problems. Political compromise is for lily-livered weaklings like George Washington and Dwight D. Eisenhower. Each side says that unless our side has opposition-proof electoral majorities, our hands are tied. The other side will use parliamentary tricks and shenanigans to halt our every initiative. Sorry, folks. We tried. We failed. It cost a trillion dollars of your tax money, but you've got to break some eggs if you want to make an omelet. Or even if you don't. Try to get it right this time, will you? Say it with me. Permanent majority. Don't screw it up again. See you next November.
1: This episode is brought to you by Senator Margaret Chase Smith's Declaration of Conscience. It was 1950, and Senator Joseph McCarthy's Un-American Activities Committee was in full swing, ferreting out hidden communists in the White House, the film industry, the military-industrial complex, the State Department, the corner grocery store, the corner of the grocery store, barber colleges, and, well, pretty much anywhere he felt like. Senator Margaret Chase Smith, the first woman to be elected to both the House and Senate, was also the first to speak out against the tactics of fellow Republican Senator Joseph McCarthy. In her Declaration of Conscience speech, she said the American people are sick and tired of being afraid to speak their minds lest they be politically smeared as communist or fascist. She noted that the basic principles of Americanism were the right to criticize, the right to hold unpopular beliefs, the right to protest, and the right to independent thought. In opposition to these principles were what she called the four horsemen of calumny, fear, ignorance, bigotry, and smear. She ended her speech by asserting that the American people would not uphold any political party that puts political exploitation above national interest. It was said that if a man had given that speech, he would have been the next president of the United States. Senator Smith, however, was removed from the Republican Policy Committee and her seniority on other committees was greatly reduced. She was sidelined by the Republican Party for years and did not help her own case when she did things like object to the nomination of actor Jimmy Stewart to the rank of Brigadier General at the order of President Eisenhower. It took four more years for McCarthy to fall from power, but one could say Senator Smith got the horses out of the gate, so to speak. On January 1, 1964, Smith announced she was running for president, and even though she lost every primary, she became the first woman in history to have her name put in for the nomination for presidency by a major political party. Her Declaration of Conscience speech is ranked number 41 in American Rhetoric's Top 100 Speeches of the 20th Century. Most of us, when it comes
0: to politics, are not stupid, bored, and selfish. We're exhausted. If we're permitted by our significant others to watch the news, we see all the sound bites and speeches and campaign catchphrases, the same ones we've been seeing for decades, from many of the same people who have been in office for years. Deep down, we know that control of Congress might change, or someone new will end up in the White House, but everything that's wrong is going to stay broken, and we'll get to hear all about it again in two years. Then there's a mass shooting, and we're told that if we ban all guns or let everyone have a gun, that'll fix it. A million babies a year get aborted, and we find out we can stop all that if we make all abortions illegal or let anyone who wants one have one. The national debt goes up a trillion dollars, which will be solved almost overnight if we cut taxes or make rich people pay 90% of their income, like we did during the First World War. Gas prices skyrocket which wouldn't have happened if we didn't use oil to run cars or put up an oil derrick in that unused green space around the Washington Monument. Are politicians stupid? I don't think so. They know that a shooting in an elementary school isn't the same as firing into a concert crowd or a workplace massacre perpetrated by that guy you fired last week. They know that a third-trimester abortion to save the mother's life isn't the same as using the morning-after pill. They know that some tax cuts work and some targeted government spending can actually boost the economy. They know that solar farms are a good idea in Arizona, but not in Alaska, and that if you need oil, you have to go get it out of the ground wherever it is, and send it to a refinery the quickest and cheapest way possible. They know Americans won't buy electric cars until there are charging stations at every highway exit. They know that the kind of change the country needs isn't going to happen in two years, or four, or ten, and the party bosses who tell them what to say and how to vote know it too. So no laws get written. No problems get solved. If we can't have all, all we have is nothing. The way politicians campaign translates into the way they govern. It didn't used to be that way. There was a time where someone could campaign in fire and brimstone, raining hell and damnation down upon the opposing candidate or the other party, and saying all manner of nutty things to get elected. But once in office, it was clear that whatever they said in the campaign was a separate thing, like a boxer before a championship bout saying mean things about the other guy's mother. It's just talk to get the crowd riled up. Now that they have the responsibility to govern, they would do it responsibly. There are plenty of examples throughout our history. Thomas Jefferson and his party said that the federal government should be relatively toothless and not do things like buy half a million acres of land from France if Napoleon needs money to conquer Europe. But then Jefferson was president and Napoleon needed money to conquer Europe, so the toothless federal government found $15 million for the Louisiana Purchase. A presidential candidate promised no new taxes and discovered once in office that the government can't operate without money, and the only way to get more was to raise taxes. The wild-eyed senator, who said there should be no restrictions on gun ownership, quietly voted for increasing the waiting period to buy a gun. The hippie congresswoman, who campaigned on eliminating America's use of fossil fuels, but then voted for increased oil drilling on federal land. Not anymore. If you campaign on stopping the other side from passing any laws at all, once you're in office, that's what you have to do. If you promise no new taxes, then you oppose anything that looks like a tax increase, even if the Treasury is empty. If you say we're not going to use oil, then you sit in your assigned seat in the Senate chamber with your arms folded and vote against increased drilling even when gas is 10 bucks a gallon. We have a 24-hour news cycle desperate for content and advertising, and our political train wreck makes good fodder. There are well-funded organizations out there who will give campaign money to someone who will vote to ban all guns or ban all abortions or drill for oil in your backyard or force everyone to buy an electric car. There are media outlets with massive audiences who delight in the blood sport of raining hell and damnation down on the half of the country they don't agree with. The more extreme a partisan you are, the more likely it is you'll get their endorsement. If you're running for office in 21st century America, this is how you win. But you're not off the hook once you're sworn in, because all that money and support can very easily go to someone else, who will beat you next time you run. They're watching what you do in the capital now. All the time. The parties themselves have realized this too, and their platforms have become more strident and less reasonable, because they need money to win. And their dream of a permanent majority will never come true if they don't. So they do what they have to. The people selected by the parties to run for office keep moving farther left or farther right depending on which party it is. Their policy positions end up light years away from what is realistic or possible. Eventually, campaigns aren't about what you're going to do once elected, they're about what you're going to stop them from doing. We have to change the way politics works if we want to change the way government works. The only way to do that is to make it clear that you can certainly pick a fringe lunatic to run for senate. But he's not going to win if all he's going to do is sit in the Senate chamber with his fingers in his ears and vote however the party leaders tell him to. But because most of us are tired of all this, we either don't show up to vote or pull the lever for the candidates of the party we identify with, even if that party no longer identifies with us. And the cycle continues. Time for you to weigh in. If you have a solution for America's all-or-nothing governmental system, or if you think I should only take one dog to the vet when it's his turn and deal with the retail fallout like a grown-up, I'd love to hear your ideas. Post something on the I'm Not Allowed to Watch the News Facebook page, even if it's just a picture of your own long-suffering pets. If you think the conquest of Belgium is neither inevitable nor necessary, you can Twitter to @NotAllowedPod. You can Instagram, whatever that is, to not allowed to watch the news.
1: Support comes from the Presidencies of the United States podcast. If you're fascinated by the office of the American president and the men who held it, this show tells their stories with both the pre presidential career of each office holder and how they left their mark on the office. There are also episodes on some of the important other characters who played a role in shaping the American presidency. Check out podcast.notallowedtowatchthenews.com for the presidency's podcast and how to find them.